This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 24th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Not long after the FBI came into its own, it became the investigative arm of the White House, for good or ill, often conducting opposition research on the president's political rivals, blatantly violating federal law. On the agency's 100th anniversary, how much currency does it have with the public? Ethan Theo Harris, author of The FBI and American Democracy, tells us. The FBI, FBI files were completely closed until the passage of the amendments to the Free Information Act in 1974, so you couldn't research the, the Bureau. And the result of that is that what we knew about the FBI was what the FBI was willing to disclose. And, for example, there was this FBI history written by Don Whitehead that was based on privilege access to FBI files, and clearly the FBI determined what files he would see, and so that it was a fairly positive. And so the, the sense that most Americans had of the FBI was of this organization that was highly professional, uh, that always got its man, the concept of the G-man is he always got his man, and that it did not violate individual rights and uh, respected the law. Uh, what's interesting post-1975 was that you begin to have FBI files released. And so the image that comes out from that is a far more negative one, both of the Bureau and of the former FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, and it's a far more negative one. And so that, I think it sort of created the context for the skepticism that's emerged post 9-11, while there was this initial deference to the expansion of the intelligence agency's role, the, there is this, as is reflected in a lot of these leaks that result in press stories, this far more aggressive approach adopted by the media to uncover these abuses. And with this has become uh, a different public sense of the Bureau than uh, had been the case, for example, if you, you contrast it with the early Cold War years where you had no, no questioning about the FBI's role and there was a sense that it was fulfilling a necessary role. Now, the Bush administration, I think it's becoming pretty clear, has used DOJ politically. With specific respect to the FBI, what do you think was the most egregious use of, of that agency as a political tool in its history? Uh, going back, uh, uh, and, it, and it dates from the Franklin Roosevelt presidency, the FBI essentially became the intelligence arm of the White House. Uh, both volunteering information as well as responding to specific presidential requests for information about the president's policy, but also uh, partisan critics. So that uh, it's very hard to single out a specific example because there, it, it really was not necessarily commonplace, but not unique. Uh, the most egregious, uh, I think, was uh, the devising by Hoover of this do-not-file procedure for breaking requests and authorization documents. And the reason I think it's egregious is that the memo describing this procedure by which field officers would submit requests for authorization from headquarters to conduct a break-in, it begins by saying um, the Bureau's term was black bag jobs. That was the color of the bag that agents used when they broke into these offices, are clearly illegal. And we can't obtain external authorization. You can't obtain authorization from the attorney general. So here was a law enforcement agency knowingly violating the law and devising a procedure to preclude discovery of their violation of the law because uh, do not file meant you didn't 
serialize and index these records in the FBI central record system. And as an FBI official testified in 1975, it allowed the Bureau to respond truthfully to congressional subpoenas or court-ordered discovery motion and say, we've searched our central record system. There's no evidence of illegal conduct, which was true because they weren't serialized and indexed until they could destroy these records, which were essentially non-record records. And I think that's the most egregious. You have a law enforcement agency knowingly violating the law and devised a procedure to undercut congressional and judicial oversight suggests that this is a major constitutional problem. In FDR's days, you mentioned that the FBI essentially became an, an intelligence gathering operation for the White House. But wasn't that also true of the Johnson and Nixon administration? Yes, I said beginning well? with Franklin but, Roosevelt. So that, that's, a, that's a consistent storyline since that time period? Right. The, 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 the one interesting, the one area where there seems to be restraint, interestingly, was during the Kennedy administration. And the reason for that is that these FBI reports went directly to the White House. They bypassed the attorney general. You couldn't do that in the Kennedy administration because Robert Kennedy was a brother of the president would, would obviously be fully informed so that there was a, a significant cutback in the FBI volunteering information and the abusive actions were those requested by the attorney general. So that the, the scaling down doesn't necessarily mean that this problem of presidential uses of the FBI uh, was abandoned. It's just that it was a function of very peculiar uh, personal relationships. So. The FBI has, since September 11th, had a bit of a rocky transition to a new kind of agency, one that is actively involved in trying to prevent uh, crimes. Do you think it's really possible for the agency to de develop that uh, kind of expertise and uh, uh, total information awareness that would be necessary for that, for that type of activity? To assume that you can prevent a crime and you can identify someone who might be engaged in criminal activity is a false premise. But I should also note that the FBI did not begin only in 2002 pursuant to the directive issued by Attorney General Ashcroft conducting intelligence investigations. That dated from 1936, and the purpose then was to anticipate espionage and sabotage and the term then used was subversive activities, not terrorism, which was a broad political term. So the FBI has been doing it. And if we think that it was only since 2002 that it's assumed this proactive and preventative role that, that misrepresents the actual history of the Bureau itself. Since the Patriot Act, the FBI has issued hundreds of thousands of these uh, national security letters. Yeah. And uh, has, again, this is part of the recent history of the FBI. Has that really changed the public's opinion about the agency? It doesn't seem to have. I mean, it, it was rather striking that, that you have the inspector general issue this report in March 2007 that, that disclosed the extent of the FBI's use of national security letters. What I think is different is that uh, wiretapping was illegal from 1934 with the passage of the Communications Act until 1968 when Congress legalized wiretapping and bugging but the FBI was wiretapping and bugging when it was illegal. So it, the, the only difference with the Patriot Act is that it, it expanded the Bureau's lawful authority to conduct these intrusive investigations. And I think that the same result, I think it would be interesting uh, to really have access to the records and to identify uh, the individuals who were being targeted under the FBI's uses of national security letters post 9-11. Yeah, will we know that? Um, at some point? Hopefully at some point. Uh, but 
clearly now, you know, if you understand, right. the inspector general had privileged access. Congress did not have the access. And I think it was a major failure of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees when they're dealing with the question of reauthorization of the, that provision of the National Secu of the Patriot Act, which would expire in five years that they didn't insist upon the opportunity to review how these letters were used and to find out, as the Inspector General concluded, that they were improperly and at times illegally used. So uh, I think that we should be far more skeptical about this sense of self-restraint by the executive branch as a means of ensuring that there are not violations of either personal rights or constitutional uh, restrictions. Ethan Theo Harris is author of The FBI and American Democracy. He spoke at a Cato Policy Forum marking the FBI's 100th anniversary yesterday. You can download the full event at Cato.org.